All right, we'll go to the first slide. Thanks, Britt. Um, oh, yes, it's Britt. And the title of my sermon is called The Healing from the Ouch. So when you hear a message like Paul's just shared with us, there's an ouch effect. Um, so there's going to be a healing needed. And I thought I'd start off, and it's hilarious. I said to Paul, my example was going to be mowing, and now I can't use it because of him, but he said I could use it anyway. There's two types of people, and there's a spectrum in between. If you've ever been unfortunate enough to have surgery, or been really, really sick and been in hospital, and you come out of hospital, there's the type of people on this end of the spectrum who, when the doctor says, do not drive for six weeks, stay in bed for two weeks, do do not lift anything above a carton of milk or whatever. They do everything to the letter. They are the ones that take the day off from work when they're sick so no one else catches the flu. Then over this end of the spectrum, there are the people who get told the same instructions and I was going to say go home and mow and then I thought, no, I can't do that. So my crazy head went, go home, get in a tip truck, start building a shed, I don't know. But go home and do everything they're not supposed to do. Drive the car. We've had friend who's just had shoulder surgery, should not be driving, but he drove and because it was at night, it was okay, hey. Yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, just... Don't ever take a sick day. They've got, uh, you know, you could go around the world 10 times because don't need to take a sick day. I'll just keep on going. And then there's everyone in between. Okay, so fess up. Who are the people over here? Do everything that the doctor says. Well done. I want to be more like you. Who are the people over here? And just get in and do Yeah, Paul, you need both hands up. I, oh, Graham, what are you doing? Like... I, I was over this side and Graham's helping me, you know, come more to the middle. I'm actually learning to take sick days when I need them at school. Healing after the ouch. Um, Graham actually shared the first part of what I wanted to share in the prayer meeting. So for those of you who were here, I apologise. Everyone's still in my stuff tonight. That's okay. Um, when Graham had that prophetic word um, many decades ago that, Revival to our nation would come through our ministry. Our ministry. We thought in our naivety, I'm fessing up here, I thought naively that God is sovereign. One day when he had done a work in Graham and me that he would magically just go thump and our church would be full of miracles and healings and people would come off the street and get saved and it would be like that. I just thought, that was what God would do, like a magical turn up. And I'd never realised there was an actual process. I never realised God would actually want to have a relationship with me and work me through the process. I never realised it was going to be hard work. I never realised it was going to ouch. So there's a bit of reprieve today in that we're going to talk about the healing after the ouch, if you're feeling a bit of an ouch at the moment. The next slide, thanks, Britt, shows someone much smarter than me. Oh, hang on, no, yeah, thank you. Someone much smarter than me who's actually experienced whatever word you want to call it. One thing I've actually repented of in this season is the word revival. Um, God's outpouring, God's presence showing up, whatever word you want to use, I don't care more of God 
more of God. Um, There's four stages to it. And there's the stimulation stage. So that's the stage when Graham and I came back from holidays and we're like, this is so exciting. God's going to do revival. It's really going to happen. It's going to happen now. All we've got to do is seek God's face and repent and confess and get rid of pride. It's going to be awesome. And remember what that was like when we did those weekly week of prayer. It was awesome. It was so much fun. And then apparently three months in, and our church is at week 10, there's this sanctification process, which is what Paul, thank you very much, talked about. We've sung, I, I give you my all, we've, we've sung it. Now, I'll come to this point. To some degree, those of us who are mature Christians are already should be sanctified and going through that. But if we truly are sanctified, then why isn't revival now? Is there a deeper level? I'll come back to that. Once we go through that, if we keep going, apparently at that stage, there's a temptation for leadership to say, it's too hard, let's go back to the way things were and make people happy. If you can get past that speed bump, that's when God turns up. That's when there's, oh my goodness, can you believe God did this? Can you believe I heard a story from Anita tonight? Can you believe God did that? We've, we, um, we met someone uptown this week who's in the room and, and they said, I don't pray in tongues just yet. And we prayed and they messaged us by the time they got home, they were praying in tongues. Can you believe God just did that? It's shock. It's all God. Why do we even doubt God? But he shows up. Like Paul said, the faith of children, daddy, 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 are you healed? And then we want to serve. We want to be a part of it. We want to be the ones doing the miracles, yeah? And it's, it's a bit of a cycle. Do you know within that cycle, there are cultures that are attractive to God and that will bring his presence in? And if we want a culture that's attractive to God, we need to look at what the Bible says. So before we start, let's look at Isaiah 57, 15. I just like the first three lines of this verse. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity. The holy one says this. I live in a high and holy place. That's the God we serve. He is high. He is lofty. He is holy. And he lives in eternity. That's our God. That's our God. Do you know what he says here, who he is with? Those whose spirits are contrite. Now that's a funny word. I've got the meaning there. Feeling or expressing remorse at the recognition that one has done wrong communion message. Um, Those whose spirits are expressing remorse at the recognition that they've done wrong. Those whose spirits are humble, that's not proud, like the, I want to know, I want to have the power. Um, I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. When we repent, we can, it's easy to lose courage and God's promise is that he will revive our courage. So cultures that attract God from that are those that express remorse. We're in a good place with Paul on communion. Um, at the re- recognition, hang on, just go back. Thank you. Of, um, and are humble and crushed in spirit. Now let's go to the next what, the slide, thanks. This psalm is this lament. 
And it talks about at the end of it, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire, talking to God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. There's this brokenness. I can't do it without you, God. I I just come before you. I'm sorry. Um, He's pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. So the burnt offerings, but in the right spirit. If we go to the next slide. Thanks. This is the story where Jesus, um, if you go to the end of the verse, he couldn't do many miracles among them except to place hands on a few sick people and heal them. Why? Because Jesus told them a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown. There was dishonour. There was dishonour. So honour is attractive to God. It's a a culture that attracts God. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So honour and faith. So if we go to the next slide, the type of cultures, if we're going to attract the presence of God and make this and us individually and corporately a people who he wants to live in, there's brokenness, cooperation with his plan. In other words, I can't just expect God to snap his fingers and in his sovereignty make it all happen. Humility, which is the whole Eve thing. The contrite, repentant spirit, faith and honour. Honour for people below us, beside us and above us. Honour. All right. So if we go back to, thank you, the next slide. That, that's the culture that these phases of revival or stages of revival or whatever word you want to use for revival um, will grow in. That's the environment that they need to grow in. They're not real pretty emotions, are they? So if we look at this sanctification, um, like I said, it's very easy to say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm continually getting sanctified. But really and truly, if that's the case, why are we not in revival? Is there something more? Are we trivialising the cross? Actually, one of the comments that we've, we've heard recently is, I will not be entertained by something that nailed Jesus to the cross. Well, that's cut out our whole TV watch list. I will not be entertained by something that nailed my Jesus to the cross. So I'm going to use an example. And you guys are smart. See if you can work out what the parallel is. I'm going to use the example of a house, my house, and the analogy is going to be my life. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? In my house, I do regular cleans. Probably should do more regular, but nonetheless, for the sake of the argument, I'm doing regular cleans. That looks like, you know, we have these little critters in our house, and these critters tend to make webs. And those webs attract other little critters that then attract other critters that eat them and drop their droppings down our wall. So on a regular basis, I have to cobweb the house and get rid of the critters and the stuff that they trap and the bad, bad um, friends or other critters that come as well. Then just because we're humans, we have dead skin cells, we live, there's dust just dust, regular everyday dust. So you have to dust. Sometimes it's outside influences. So sometimes it might be raining and stormy outside and you accidentally bring in mud. 
or someone's mowed the grass, maybe Paul's been to your place, and you bring in grass clippings. Sometimes you need to just sweep in those, sweep up those outside influences, yeah? And then other times stuff happens, you might break a glass and have to mop up the the whatever it was in it and, and the breakage. I actually, it was a comedy of errors yesterday. I was unpacking the groceries. I spilt the blueberries all over the, the kitchen floor and as I went back, I think I got every single blueberry and squashed it in the floor. There are spills that we need to mop up. Can you see the parallels with regular sanctification? Sometimes we've got habits that, that trap us and bring in bad company. We've got to cobweb our habits. Sometimes just life, when you live with a husband or a wife or a child or a mother or father, there's going to be dead cells that you need to dust up. Just regular because we're human. Then sometimes we accidentally or intentionally let outside influences in. And we often, you know, we do this. We, we clean up after that. And still other times I might do something that really hurts you. And I have to be repentant of that. That's all the day-to-day stuff. What more could there be? What more could there be? If we go to the next slide, thank you. This is going to be an embarrassing confession. This is the cupboard door that's in my boil our hour. Our boiler room. (laughs) I've got to watch my mouth. Um, So on the door, it looks holy. It's got the Australia map that we're praying over. It's got even a face of Jesus, some prayers, some people we pray on. It looks really holy, yeah? Our boiler room has clean floors. Everything's cleaned. It's nice and clean. Do you want to see what's inside the cupboard? I am really embarrassed to do this. So let's go to this side. On the top is a box that probably needs to go to Betty. It's got beanies and sarongs and stuff that people have given me that I will not ever wear. Just because they hold some sentimental value, I'm holding on to them. I need to get rid of them. Underneath that, my baby blankets that are over 50 years old and my brothers underneath that, my kids underneath that, I have no idea what. Underneath that, the doona from the bed that was in there and underneath that, I have no idea what. Let's forget about that side for a minute because that's just trash. Let's go to the next slide if we go to this side. These are some of the boxes that I opened up and ashamedly put back into the boxes and put back in the cupboards. Not a good illustration of the point I want to prove. But... This box is precious to me because it holds memories from way back when. This is Brittany's school books, some crafts she did on mission. That A4 drawing book is actually empty and should probably be used or be given away. And even letters, that printed thing with the cards, we used to write letters to our kids and leave them in lunchboxes or when they went on camp every day they'd open a letter. I've held on to them. Why? Because it was fun back then. It was treasure back then. I don't want to get rid of that stuff. If we go to the next slide, this is that white thing is Danielle's wedding petticoat from 2014. The yellow stuff was stuff, cheap stuff when her room went from a baby girl to a tween 
with a lolly wrapper in there that's just rubbish and a Uno game that's probably got a corroded battery. All the other stuff is wedding and engagement decorations that cost literally $2. The price is still on there from King Kong's and it's like, but I remember the fun times I had with Annie Norell and we picked those crackle pots and I glued that paper on those and I'm, I never even used that coffee thing. That was just there for decoration. Let's go to the next slide. This, is, this one's the painful one. So not only does it have rot in it, they're my wedding shoes from 1993. Don't even know why I'm keeping them. Under them is the world's most painful high heel shoes you will ever come across. Whoever invented high heels, they hurt me. Why did I not get rid of them in 2015 after I wore them one time? Because they brought pain. That teddy bear. <laughs> that teddy bear was mine as a baby and it used to be really cute. It's articulated and when you bend it over, it would growl in a really cute, kitty-friendly way. Fifty-something years later, its growl sounds traumatically scary. <laughs> it sounds like it's about to murder somebody and to add insult to serious injury, it looks scary because it's missing an eyeball. So it's like, and it's just like, Ugh. There's pain and trauma in that box, I've got to tell you. And the next slide, thank you, is in those white things are three wedding dresses. My mother's from 1964, mine from 1993, and my daughter's from 2014. Why have I got three wedding dresses in my cupboard? Had I had a difficult conversation with Danielle in 2015 and said, look, we had fun, we've got the photos, let's sell it. I guarantee if Danielle and Britt saw the stuff I've been, that, that, like the, wed, the decorations, they'd say, Mum, sell it on Marketplace. They don't hold any emotional attachment to it. So if we go to the next slide, on that side of the thing, there's four categories. The fond memories from long, long ago, the cheap, worthless stuff that I could probably throw away in a heartbeat, maybe. Painful, traumatic stuff and sentimental stuff that for me to dispose of, it will take a challenging conversation. Why do I hold on to that? Imagine if, why do we have to let it go? How trivial is it? How trivial is the stuff that we keep? What if Jesus knocked on my door and said, Amanda, I'm gonna pop around in a couple of weeks. Whatever empty space is in your cupboards, Next slide, please. I'm going to fill with pure gold. You know what? Getting rid of that stuff became a whole lot easier, didn't it? There's even a safe in there with all our birth certificates and stuff in it. I don't even need them. I can get them whenever I need. You know what I mean? Like here I've got these hidden places in my life and I hold on to hurts and traumas and good memories and stuff that would take confronting people like my mother to get rid of and I don't want to do that. It's just easier and it was easier for me to put it back in the cupboard because it's going to take emotional, physical and mental stress, strain, exertion to get rid of it. But what if God said, I'm gonna take that and whatever gaps are in there, I'm gonna give you pure gold. Because really effectively, that's what he's doing. He's actually saying, if you get rid of all that trivial stuff, I'm gonna put pure gold and that's the level we gotta to get to. 
And that's going to hurt. So where's the healing in all of this? Where's the, I thought you said this is going to be a good message, Amanda. Oh, it is. It will get there. If we go to the next slide, thanks. Stimulation. That was the fun at the start of the year. Like, yeah, God's going to do this. It's so exciting. It's so good. We're hitting this three-month period where it's starting to get a bit, and it's even coming out through other people, you know. And we're, if we push through, we'll get to the shock and awe. So how do we push through? What's God saying? If we turn our Bibles to the book of Joshua. The children of Israel had just, Moses had just died. They'd finished their wandering in the wilderness. The generation had, been, had, been, had died off. The ones that, remember, did, doubted God's plan doubted their identity, we're just grasshoppers in their eyes. You know, that generation are gone. They're about to take the promised land. Now, I want to parallel whatever word you want to put in for God's outpouring with our promised land. It will come. That shock and awe, it will come. So when you're reading this, read it with us as the children of Israel and revival, outpouring, transformation, whatever the word is, promised land. God says to Joshua, be strong. Oh, hang on, no, I think we've got to go back a slide. No, we, oh, okay, that's okay, thank you. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So church, we've got to be strong strong and courageous. Hang on, back, sorry. Um, obeying everything God tells us. Obeying everything, not turning from the left to the right. And you know what? God wants our promised land to be successful and prosperous. Let's not be scared. Let's not be scared. It's going to happen. It's going to be prosperous and successful. Next slide. Then he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Point number one. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God's with us in this process, church. We have to be strong and courageous. Do you know what? It's a command. We are a spirit that lives in a body that has a mind and a soul. You know, I see, I think, I feel. And sometimes I see, I think, I feel takes over and we get scared and we get not courageous and so we have to tell ourselves, no, God's commanded us. My spirit man will tell you, be strong. I taught this verse to my kids. I would encourage everyone to learn Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Number one, in your healing, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous because God's with us. God's with us. So Joshua ordered the the officers of the people ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people get your provisions ready three days from now you'll cross the Jordan 
here to go and take possession of the land your God is giving you for your own. And then they answered Joshua, whatever you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Oh, may the Lord God be with you as he was with Moses. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Get ready. We're going to cross over. We're going to go. Sounds really exciting. That's a stimulation phase. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Do you know what happened next? Let's go. Let's see what happened next. So, when the whole nation, everyone say whole nation. I didn't hear you. Everyone say whole nation. That's all of us. It's not a Graham and Amanda thing. It's a whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to pick up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing. So the priests with the Ark of the Covenant were in there. Everyone crosses through. 12 leaders had to get a stone from right where the presence of God was and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Next slide, thanks. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. To me, descendants says that God doesn't want the revival to stop. He wants it to go on from generation to generation. He wants us to keep in that loop, to keep this process. That's why we have to know God is with us at every stage of that developmental spectrum. Why? Because when those kids go, Daddy, what are these 12 rocks randomly doing here? Daddy says, that's where God crossed us into the promised land. That's where it happened. You know why he did this? He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Do you want everyone, not just here, not just Maryborough and Queensland and Australia, but all the peoples of the earth, Madagascar, might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Is that what we want? Yeah. And do we want to always fear God? I do. I don't want to stray to the left or right. That's why it's important we keep this thing going for generations to come. Next, next slide, thanks. Now, when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Enter the enemy. The enemy is starting to get gist of what's happening here. Two tactics. They're scared witless. The enemy melted in fear. Their hearts melted in fear. Fear is a tactic of the enemy. The other thing is they no longer had courage to face the Israelites. If you've got no courage to face your problem, if your lack of courage or you're experiencing fear, it's a tactic from the enemy. We sometimes confuse enemy with sanctification. This is not the enemy. This is God cleaning out cupboards to put gold in, mind you. And Graham and I, using us as an example, we've been going through this emptying our cupboards. Uh, just like God, there's no more you can have, but there always is. But then that's not the enemy. That's God. This week, and I was with someone in the room here, 
and we were having a chat and Graham sends through this video of our caravan, you know, the one that got written off and it's going off to the great caravan car park in the sky and I'm like, oh, you know how us mamas sometimes put emotions on things? Oh, I remember all the good times we had in that. Like, I'm happy for it to be taken, but it was emotional. And we were having a bit of emotional time with our ACQ and all our insurance. Our bus is gone at the moment. And then Graham gets his phone call. Now, we're in a street where every second house is getting their roof replaced. RACQ says, you know what, Graham, you know how your roof and your pool and your fence and your air conditioner got damaged in that storm? We're not going to replace any of it. None of it. Now, that's an attack from the enemy. And we'll deal with that spiritually before we deal with it physically. But can you see the difference? Can you see the difference? So... The enemy is going to get scared. You don't start throwing out words like, we're going to pray for our nation for 24 days and the enemy doesn't get scared. But at the end of the story, we'll find out God's bigger. If we keep going, thank you. Then we get to Gilgal. Now, God had previously asked his people to circumcise their young male babies. And while they were in the wilderness, they neglected that practice. Now, one person could think, what does it matter if we're not circumcised? It's just a little bit of flesh. But for God, it was everything. Your little bit of flesh is everything. So before they could cross over into the promised land, they need to get circumcised. Now, these are not children. These are older people having to choose to get circumcised. So at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives. Now, I googled flint knives used at Gilgal. That's what came up. I'm not going to research what they actually look like. You can imagine. They didn't have a lot of, they didn't have the scalpels and the things that modern medicine would have. They had rocks. Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at that place. After the whole nation, everyone say whole nation, had been circumcised, they remained in the camp until they were healed. Whole nation needed to be circumcised, but it's just a bit of flesh. But it means everything to God because he wants to pour gold into your life, so you've got to get rid of your flesh. Now, just as there were a myriad of personalities before, I imagine there'd be a myriad of personalities in this area. There would be the people who, I'm imagining they had a rock that they had to put their flesh on and then it got chopped off. And you know, Jesus is our rock. Do you know what I mean? Like he is our rock. And in all this process, remember, be strong and courageous. No wonder they said that. Because I'll be with you in the process. I'll be in the process. Now, some of us would have been probably like me, run up, put your flesh on the altar, chop it off and make a big noise, scream, heal, and then just get it over and done with. I don't want to think about it. That would be me. Some of us, it's a process. And that's okay. I've got my flesh on the altar. I know the knife's up there. I'm just not ready yet. Just let me breathe. Just let me breathe. Just let me breathe. 
and that's okay. Some of us are back here, we're propping up our flesh with excuses. Oh, but it wasn't my fault, it's who I am, it's what I do, it's had a bad day. You know, we make excuses, I don't need to, it's for everybody else but me. It's for the church leaders, the pastors can do that. I don't need to do it. Everyone say whole nation. The whole nation was circumcised. Tell me that's not going to hurt. That knife looks scary. That knife looks scary. And do you know what they did after they did that? Now, I don't know. It doesn't say how long it took. But if you're going to allow for a whole nation, you've got to allow for the whole nation. For some of us, it's a process. It's, God, I know I've got to get rid of this flesh. I know the knife's up there, but just give me some space. And you know that's okay. Because you know why? God's with you in the process. Some of us are back here. And you've got to, we'll talk about that, because that's the second point. You've got to be still and know that I'm God. Because it says here, they remained in the camp until they were healed. Sometimes we just got to be still. And let God heal us. Sometimes we just got to be still and say, God, I don't know. I don't, I have all this understanding. There's that understanding. I've, I've got all this understanding, and, but I've got to trust on you and not lean on that. I'm being still. I'm being still and knowing that you're God. I'm being strong and courageous. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to be discouraged. And very soon, as you start building your flesh man, your spirit man up, your flesh will stop getting propped up and you'll be ready. You'll be ready. No wonder the move of God can stop in three months. This is big stuff. But God wants us to heal. Look, they, all, they were there until they healed. There's healing. But we've got to be still and let God heal us. Very important. And look what happened after that. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so this place will be called Gilgal to this day. It's a new day. Once we, once we give God that cupboard, once we give God, give God that flesh, it's a new day. We're ready to take our promise. That's the shock and awe bit. That's the good bit, yeah? That's the Jericho and all the other fortified cities. We're the army. We're strong. We're ready to go, but we've got to heal. Got to be still. Lean not on your understanding, but trust God. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. If we go to the next slide, I've had to, in my life, decide, do I want to keep precious memories Do I want to keep cheap, worthless stuff? Do I want to keep pain and trauma? Or do I want to avoid conversations to get rid of things? Or am I willing to cut off my flesh and say, God, you are welcome to come to my house. You will find every empty cupboard and you can fill it with as much gold because that's more valuable than that. God in us, the hope of glory is more valuable than anything I want to have in my cupboard. Wow, next slide, thanks. So then after that, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. 
unleavened bread, roasted grain, the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. And there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate out of the produce of Canaan. Canaan is the promised land. Do you know what? These guys, all they'd known of church is God giving them bread and chicken, chicken sandwiches, quail and manna every single day. My Bible reminds me, they sometimes complained about it, but God provided it for them. They were happy. They were alive. They, you know, it fed them. But now there's a new way. We've cut off our flesh. We've healed. And we've got to let go. That was good. But you can't tell me fresh fruit and veg and milk and honey is not better when you've been eating this for 40 years. You know what I'm saying? We have to learn that in this new season, it's new wine, new wineskin, some things back here, you know, I'm holding on to those books of Brittany, they're juvenile. I mean, they're precious to me, don't get me wrong, but they're from her primary school. Brittany's now an adult. This was good back then, but we might have to let go of some things and say, God, expand my vision to be a part of this revival, this outpouring, this transformation. What have we got to do to stop eating manna and quail and start eating out of Canaan? What have we got to let go of? It might be good. It might be good. All that stuff of Brits is beautiful. We've got to let go of it. And finally, the final slide. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, and see, Jericho, it, it's a fortified city, right? Like, when those people said, we will fully follow you, Joshua, they actually did. Because you remember the battle plan for Jericho and for all the other places? It was weird. But they did it. And, and so it was a new way. They didn't have to do that in the wilderness. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand, a drawn sword. Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does the Lord have for my servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Remember we said, talked about the, the battle? We might be a battle, but I gotta tell you, we got the commander of the army. We got a com- we got all of heaven's armies at our disposal. God is for us. He is not against us. We don't put our hopes in horses and chariots. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. All we've got to do is take off our sandals. For the place you are standing is holy ground. All we've got to do is trust God. So as the band comes up, um, there's, there's a few things you can do in this process to help yourself heal. <laughs> a few things you can do. Number one is you can be strong and courageous. I have commanded you to be strong and brave. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged for I am the Lord your God and I will be there to help you wherever you go. Through the process of putting your flesh down, 
then, and you can take this, Graham, if you, um, through that process, be strong, be courageous, don't let discouragement or fear come in. Number two, stay until you're healed. Stay until you're healed. Be still and know that God is God. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust God and his ways. Trust that when you open up those hidden closets, he will fill them with pure gold so that we can all serve. We can all be part of this great outpouring. And finally, God is for us. The battle belongs to him. We don't trust in horses and chariots. We have a great worship team. We have great technology. We have great ministries in this church. That's not where our trust is. Our trust is not in a person. Our trust is in the name of the Lord. Our trust is in the name of the Lord. So run to the battle. Run to the battle. Because we are going to see a great and mighty outpouring of God in our nation. Um, did you want to come up? I was. You can pray and... Awesome. Hey, we're going to, um, we're going to, that was an awesome message, wasn't it? I don't really, um, scares me a little bit sometimes what God is doing, but I remember years ago, um, and tonight maybe you need to come forward and ask God what it is that He needs to do in your life to get you to the place where um, all your cupboards are empty um, and there's room for pure gold. But I remember... Um, when I was 17, um, I stood at an altar one night and I said to God, I'm going to give you my whole life. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'll give you everything that you have. Everything I have is yours and I will do whatever you want me to do. And in my naivety, I thought God would get me to spend an extra $20 a week on fuel in my car picking up youth group kids. And I thought, if I do that, I'll be a hero. Um, I'll do that for you, God. I'll drive around and pick up more kids. And you know, I, I came forward at the altar and I prayed and drew a line in the sand and I went home that night and I heard God's voice for the first time that I'd ever heard God speak. And it had nothing to do with motor vehicles, had nothing to do with fuel. It had nothing to do with youth group. It had everything to do with me. And what he said was, the girl you're dating is not the right girl. You need to break up with her. Ouch. I was, I was happy for the fuel. I wasn't happy for that. But you know what? The next day, I made the decision to do that. And then God spoke to me that night about where we are today. It hurt a lot, but it got me to where I am today. Pure gold married to an awesome woman, doing what God has called me to do. What's holding you back tonight? What do you need prayer for to bring you up to the place where you can go, not just come to the altar and go, God, I give you my whole life. It's like, God, show me what I need to let go of. Show me what I need to repent of. Show me what I need to do. And then it's up to you to go and do it. So as we stand tonight, if you need prayer tonight, if you just need to come and kneel at the altar, if you need to just go, God, um, you know, I just need to be in your presence tonight. You come forward and someone will come and, and pray with you. If you don't want them to pray, just shush them away. Shush them away. But we would love to pray with you tonight. Come on, let's stand.
Thanks, Jess. Come on, come on. Thank you, Jesus.